look with me at John chapter 7, verses 40 through 8, chapter, or verse 1. Uh, and when they heard these words, some of the people said, this really is the prophet. And others said, this is the Christ. But some said, is the Christ to come from Galilee? Has not the scripture said that Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was? And so there was a division uh, among the people over him. Some of them wanted to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him. But the officers then came to the chief priests and Pharisees who said to them, why did you not bring him? And the officers answered, no one ever spoke like this man. And the Pharisees answered them, have you also been deceived? Have any of the authorities or the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. Nicodemus, who had gone to him before and who was one of them, said to them, Does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? And they replied, Are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. And then they went each to his own house, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. And this is the word of the Lord. Uh, before we get into this today, I want to remind you of where we are, where we kind of left off last week. Uh, when we read in verse 40, we hear when they heard these words. Uh, well, who are they and what are these words that were said? Well, the they is the crowd of people that are present during the Feast of Booths. Uh, Jesus, remember, uh, has gone up to this festival and he has begun to teach them. And he's making a very public spectacle in front of this crowd that's in Jerusalem. And so that is the they. You'll also remember that the Pharisees sent officers to arrest Jesus in the crowd. So you've got uh, the crowd of people that are listening. You've got Pharisees kind of off to the side. And then you've got intermixed in the crowd officers that are attempting to arrest Jesus. And the, these words that people are responding to are back in verses 37 and 38, where Jesus says, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. And whoever believes in me, as the scriptures have said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. So we pick up immediately after those words have been said and this bold claim from Jesus that he's the living water. Uh, there is a large sense in this crowd of what I would call hesitant belief. Like there's belief and you see the response of the crowd, but others are a little bit more hesitant. And again, you have general populace, Pharisees, and officers. You have all these different walks of life and levels of intellect that are responding. And we see different people here begin to react differently to the ways in, uh, that Jesus is speaking to them. You're going to get different reactions here. We see uh, in this passage that the message of Jesus pierces the hearts of the genuine believers. Uh, those that are really searching for Jesus, it pierces their hearts. Yet elsewhere, further on, we see that the dense minds of the skeptics and the Pharisees hinder a heartfelt belief in Jesus. And so our main idea this morning, the idea that I want us to focus in on is this, following after Jesus is a matter of the heart, not of the mind. Following after Jesus is a matter of the heart, not of the mind. And now, uh, before I get too deep into this, before you hear that, uh, I want to clarify something. I do believe that a more fulfilled life in Jesus is one that believes in the heart 
and also studies with the mind. And we're going to talk about that later. But for now, I just want us to understand that following Jesus, being a Christian is not an intellectual matter. It's a matter of the heart. So don't hear that and be like, oh, Nate's just saying we don't need to study. Like, no, that's not what I'm saying at all. We're going to look at that later, okay? But becoming a Christian has to do with your heart first. And we see that with our first main point, the genuine heart of the crowd. Look with me again at verse 40 in the first part of 41. And when they heard these words, some of the people said, this really is the prophet. And others said, this is the Christ. We see that the words of Jesus have begun to seep into many of his listeners. Uh, when they're crying out, this is the prophet, uh, they're referring back to Deuteronomy chapter 18, when Moses says, there will come a prophet just like me, risen up out among you. And so the people are seeing Jesus' words, they're saying, hey, this is the greater Moses. This is the prophet. Like, this, this is the guy. This is our boy. He's here. This is the greater Moses. And then they also call him the Christ, which is God's anointed one. They recognize Jesus to be God's anointed and the prophet that was foretold of them. We see the true faith of the crowd as they place their trust in Jesus and in his words. We see that their hearts have been changed. In order to make a statement like this is the prophet or this is the Christ, your heart has to go through some changes. They are recognizing that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is the Messiah, and he is the Son of God. Their hearts have become to be changed. And now notice uh, that Jesus doesn't stop them from believing in him. In this specific instance, Jesus' silence is his acceptance of the crowd who is believing in him. He's not hindering them. He's not asking them questions. He's not asking that they go and study the Messiah. Like, oh, you said, I am the Christ. Well, I need you in a week to come back with eight pages on what the Christ means and what that looks like in the Old Testament and the applications of that today. I need a seven-page uh, bibliography text as well. Like, it's not doing that. He's just like, he's staying silent. He is accepting their proclamations. And why is this? Why is he not asking them and quizzing them? Well, because Jesus knows and we should know that following and accepting Jesus has to deal with our hearts first and foremost. Now, we're going we're gonna to come back to this part of the crowd later, but I want us to just move forward now uh, to look at another section of the crowd, the cautious mind of the crowd Look with me at the second part of verse 41 and then into 43. But some said, is the Christ to come from Galilee? Has not the scriptures said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was? And so there was a division on the people about who he was. So we see other people in this crowd now, however, uh, they don't believe right away. They're asking questions and they're voicing some skepticisms that they have about Jesus. They kind of say, you know, isn't Jesus from Galilee? Like, I, I, I know the, the law or I know, I know the, the Old Testament, uh, as we would say. Uh, it says the Christ is supposed to come from Bethlehem, not small, unimportant Galilee. Also, isn't the Christ supposed to come from the lineage of David? But we know this guy, Jesus, is from Joseph, who's just a carpenter. So I'm a little confused here. They're asking good questions. Let's be real here. They're asking genuinely good questions. And for us today in this room, as frustrating as it might be to hear these skepticisms 
from the crowd and hear the world's skepticisms of Christianity, we must not allow ourselves to be judgmental or frustrated because these people in this crowd and some non-believers in this world do have legitimate concerns and legitimate worries, and they're asking good questions. They want to be informed, but they need their questions answered. They, they want to take that step, but they want a little bit more information. This is not disbelief in Jesus, but this is what I would call kind of a hesitant belief. Like, I'm really, like, I'm vibing with what you're saying. I like this, but the, the Bible for them, okay, so my Bible says the Christ is supposed to come from uh, Bethlehem, but Jesus is claiming to be the Christ, but I th- he's from Galilee. Like, I don't understand what's going on. Like, I believe in what he's saying, but there's a discrepancy here between what I know and what he is saying, there's, there's hesitant belief there. And we might in our daily walks find people like this as well. Like, yeah, I love the message of Christianity. I do have some skepticisms. And if you attended my class in apologetics, we talked about a lot of those skepticisms. How do we handle talking to someone who's got legitimate questions? Um, but we have to allow ourselves to just be calm and to not run over and just like shake them. Like, why? It's so easy. Why do you not understand this? Like, why are you asking all these questions? Like, no, we want to encourage people to ask questions questions and to research. And with those people and even these people in the crowd, once these skeptics do their research, they will see clearly that Jesus was in fact born in Bethlehem. He just happens to be from Galilee, but he was born in Bethlehem. And if they look at the genealogies that were wildly or widely kept, they would also see that Mary and Joseph do in fact come from the lineage of David, making Jesus from the lineage of of David. Their concerns and skepticisms will be answered as they do their research and as they answer their questions. And here's the beautiful thing. We have the genuine faith of the crowd, and then we look at this cautious mind of the crowd. Once this, these type of people, once their questions get answered, they have a truer and authentic and a fuller belief in Jesus. Now, I want to be clear, the text doesn't go on to say that these people go home and do their research, they pray, they think about it, they fast a little bit, and then they accept Jesus. Okay, it doesn't say that, but the logical course of action for someone who is genuinely searching for Jesus is to do research and to look it up. So no doubt some people in this crowd that are asking these uh, concerning questions do later come to place faith in Jesus. And so this is the point I want to try to get across to you. Friends, it is okay to ask questions and to be skeptical of things. It's okay if you hear something and wrestle with it a little bit, okay? There's this idea that you're not allowed to ask any questions and the church won't let you ask any questions. And I wanna put that down immediately and say, I want you to ask questions. I want you to wrestle. I want you to think through the things you hear on Wednesdays, on Sundays, whether it be through Keith or myself or your leaders. Like, I want you to ask questions. Questions. There's this idea out there too that when we sit down and we're listening to this guy just constantly asking questions in a classroom, like maybe you were in school and that one dorky little kid was always asking questions in high school, like, well, what about this? And you're just like, oh my goodness, can we move on? Like, maybe that was just me then. Okay, so, uh, <laughs> but put myself on, on blast right there. But uh, maybe we get that idea. We see people constantly asking questions and we get annoyed and we mustn't do that because they're asking good questions. They're asking legitimate questions. I mean, also look at Nicodemus in John chapter three, who seeks after Jesus to ask legitimate 
questions. We look at the disciples, Nathaniel and Thomas. They were extremely skeptical of Jesus and asked questions. I mean, what do we know Thomas to be? Doubting Thomas. Do your research. Study God's word on your own. Dig deeper, and you're going to find the answers that you need. I encourage you to do so. And in our own lives, as we preach Jesus, may we not judge or get frustrated with someone who brings up doubts or concerns. We have to be patient. We don't see in this text the crowd who genuinely believes attack the crowd who's cautiously asking questions. Now, it does say there's a dispute among them, but the dispute, I would argue, is probably them just saying, well, no, like like they're arguing over the fact that he's probably from Galilee or he's from Bethlehem or they're wrestling with what he is saying. It's not a hostile engagement. Okay, we, so again, we look at ourselves, we have to answer questions. When someone has hesitant belief, they want to believe, but they've got questions, we have to answer those. We have the answers. Paul says in Romans chapter 10, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? This is Jesus he's referring to. How are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? Or we can say, how are they to have their questions answered if no one answers the questions? How sad would it be if I had someone legitimately asking a question and I had the answer to it and I didn't say anything? I did not speak up. How will someone's questions be answered if we don't stand up and answer them? And then here's the beautiful thing we need to understand about the members of this crowd who are a little bit skeptical um, and the man or woman today who have legitimate questions. Once that person accepts Jesus and places their faith in them. Once their hearts have been changed, so because they've had their mind strengthened, because they had these doubts, they had these skepticisms, and then they got answers to them, well, now they have a more informed faith about Jesus because of their mind. They have this new knowledge here. So let me give you an, let me give you an example. I was born and raised in a Christian home. I've gone to church my entire life. It's not a bad thing, I would say, but I was raised up in essentially a Christian bubble, okay? I didn't have many non-Christian friends. I didn't, wasn't exposed to that too well. Um, my first, I believe, non-Christian friend was probably when I was 10 and he lived in my neighborhood. But then after that, my, my interactions were limited. So my, my point is Christianity is literally a part of me, second nature, since the day I was born, okay? So the idea there is, what I'm trying to get across then is this. I've never had legitimate doubts of Christianity. Now, I've doubted my faith, but I've doubted elements of my faith before and doubted elements of God. Don't hear me and say that I've had a perfect faith, but I've never wrestled with, is Christianity real? Like that's, that's just because of me, and I give God praise for that. But here's the idea. I don't know oftentimes, especially when I was in college, I don't know what the skeptical world is asking about my faith because I've never asked those questions before. So you have someone else over here who maybe has never believed in the gospel. They're 30, they're 40, uh, they're 60, like Keith, I don't know. And then they're like asking legitimate questions. He's in Florida. I can say what I want. No. Uh, (laughs) So they're older, whatever. They've lived their life apart from the gospel. And then they begin to ask questions and they have skepticisms. They're asking questions about Christianity, if it's real or not. And then once they become 
a believer, they have the answers to those doubts. I don't have those answers because I'm not asking those same questions because I haven't walked that line of skepticism before. Do you see what I'm trying to get at here? The skeptical, hesitant person who's asking questions becomes saved. They get entered into the fold and into the kingdom of God and their minds are sharpened. Their minds have grown because, hey, I, when I was a non-Christian, I was asking this, this, and this about Christianity, and I thought Christians were this, this, and this. And now I can answer against those things to other people who were just like me. My job as a minister now is to be informed on those things. But in college, I had no idea when people would say things like, I just can't imagine, you know, Christians believe blank, blank, and blank. And I'm like, what? And I didn't know how to interact with that. So I applaud the people who were skeptical and came into faith because they have answers to the world's questions. So here's the thing. Knowledge benefits the cautious and hungry soul for Christ. If you are wrestling, maybe you've been coming here for a little bit and you've been wrestling with the things that we talk about here, that's good. Maybe you've got legitimate questions, but you're embarrassed to ask like, ah, these people believe it. Like it's gonna be rude if I ask. I want you to ask. In fact, I'm begging you to ask questions. Knowledge and a search for knowledge benefits the cautious and hungry soul for Christ. And so now in the crowd, Looking back now, we have two different types of people. We have some people, in our first point, who wholeheartedly believe in Jesus without needing anything answered. They are gung-ho, all in, pulling back the leash on them. They're ready to charge hell with a water pistol. Like They are eager and ready to get to work because they wholly believe in Jesus. Like Just tell me what to do and I'll do it. And then you have other people on this side that have thought about it, They've studied a little bit more. They have a more informed and understanding of the faith. They have answers to the questions that the world may or may not ask. They have a knowledge of God's word and Jesus because they were doing their own research and study. And here's the thing. The church needs both groups of people. It is not one is better than the other. We need both groups of people. The church needs the on fire, just tell me what to do and I'll do it, people to motivate the ones who only want to sit back and study and read the Bible. And the church also needs the people who love to study theology, who love to study and to teach or to listen, to motivate and to spur on the other people to learn more about their faith. Both groups come together to glorify God and strengthen one another. I personally am on this side. I love doctrine. I love theology. It's one of my favorite things. And now I get my to do uh, my job is all about that much more. But I love theology. I love doctrine. And I wrestle with sometimes taking action. So I need the person who's like, yeah, like I like to study, but man, just I want to get out there and get to work. I need that person. And the other type of person needs someone who likes to study to say, hey, you're doing such a great job. Let's learn more so your action is more informed and you can do more with the knowledge that you have. We need both to come together. So maybe you yourself have found yourself uh, before, uh, before today in one of these two camps. You know, maybe you were the gung-ho, maybe you were more of the skeptical and the studying person. 
The end goal, though, regardless of where you were, where you are, is the same for both sides of people in this crowd and for us to come together to have a passion and a fire and a desire to study and learn more about God. Regardless of where you were, we want to come together. So I have the passion and the desire to get to work, and I also at the same time want to learn more. I want both of these camps, we come together. We need to both fully honor God and to have a richer, deeper, and more fulfilled life is how we do that. And we do that by working, getting to, getting to work, having action, and studying and learning more. Childlike faith and a mind that desires to learn more about God are equally pleasing to him. But here's the thing now. As we go into studying, as we look to study and to grow more and to, to look at doctrine or theology, don't freak out if you hear those words, we have to be super, super cautious. Why? Because of this, our next point, the arrogant mind of the Pharisees. The arrogant mind of the Pharisees. Read with me 47, 48, and 49. And the Pharisees answered them, this is the authorities that they went to have them arrested. Have you also been deceived? Have any of the authorities or Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. So going back to our main idea, we see that faith in Jesus is a heart matter. It's not a matter of the mind. Okay, here's the thing. I'm going to really hammer home on this point here on those who have all of the knowledge, but not the other side of it. Why? Because show me a person who loves and honors and desires Jesus. They're going to naturally have a desire to learn and to study more. Not always, but most of the time. There are a lot of people on this side, though, who just want to study, who just want to learn, who just want to teach, but don't want to do anything else in the church. So I really want to hammer home on this side of it, okay? We'll talk about this side too, but really going to focus in on this side because this is where we see the Pharisees are. They have the knowledge, but nothing else. So remember, following after Jesus is a matter of the heart. It's not of the mind. Your mind can possess insurmountable knowledge of theology, and of doctrine. You may know the ethics of the history of Christianity inside and out. You can quote church history. You can word for word cite Wayne Grudem, systematic theology. You wake up to it. You hide it under your pillow at night and sleep right up next to it. Uh, you're like, hey, I really think we should all read this book together. It's in Hebrew and Latin backwards. Just going to be super cool. Like you can have all this cool stuff and cool knowledge. But friends, if you do not believe in your heart, Christ and him crucified then you will spend an eternity apart from God. Your knowledge will not save you. Puritan preacher and pastor Thomas Watson said this, knowledge without repentance will be but a torch to light men to hell. And the great poet George Herbert, knowledge is but folly unless it is guided by grace. In these verses, we are confronted with the arrogance of the Pharisees. They have all the knowledge we could ever hope for, and yet they're blind to the person of the work of Jesus. Their minds and their pride are hindering belief in their hearts. I mean, look at the words that they say as they cast judgment on the crowd. This crowd that doesn't know the law is accursed. Here's what they're saying. 
These people don't know anything about anything. We are more godly than they are because we know the law. These people aren't even true believers. And then they cry out. This is what's so funny to me. Then they cry out, no one of intellect could possibly accept Jesus. They say, have any of the Pharisees ever believed in Jesus? And yet who speaks up in protest? Did you catch it? Nicodemus, who's what? A Pharisee. The man, this is the same guy from John chapter three, the man of whom Jesus uttered the most famous verse in all of scripture. John three sixteen. He speaks up in protest and says, well, actually, and the Pharisees just mock him. Their supposed intellect, their supposed elevated minds push back against the very proof that they're seeking. Jesus isn't from Bethlehem. Like, well, actually, like no Pharisee would ever believe in Jesus. Well, actually, I'm over here. You know, they blinded themselves because of their own minds. Have you ever met someone like this before? It's difficult to talk to them, to give them, this is what the word of God said. Like what you're believing is just not true. I'm giving you proof. And it's, like, eh. it's hard. We do not judge though and be very careful here. We love them. We give them patience and we love them. But friends, we look at the Pharisees, their doctrine and theology rebukes those who have genuine faith. Why? Because you don't believe what I believe. You're not from the same denomination that I am. You don't believe in the same secondary issues of theology that I do. You don't have a degree. So what could you possibly know? When trying to become righteous becomes only a matter of the mind, only, then we've missed the mark. When we only read the Bible to study, to see theology, to connect the dots, we've missed the mark. If we treat the Bible like a textbook and a roadmap, we've missed the mark. If we come to the Bible as an understanding, this is God's word to me, it is useful, it is rich, it is alive, it is living and breathing. You are inhaling the breath of God every time you open this book here. If we don't come to the Bible with that attitude, then we've missed the mark. Now, I'm not saying don't study. Read your Bible, study, learn doctrine, learn theology, connect some dots. That's great. I'm not saying don't do that, but when you only do that, then you've missed the purpose. If the Pharisees truly believed the things that they read in the law, they truly believed what they were reading, there would have been a heart change. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 23. And then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses's seat. So do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works that they do. For they preach, but do not practice. I'm so glad nobody does that anymore. Listen to what Jesus is saying. He says, the Pharisees are telling you to do things. What they're telling you to do is good. So listen to what they're saying, not what they're doing. They're, practi- they're not practicing what they're preaching. Friends, if your knowledge and study does not prompt you to change and to grow in the Lord, then it is dead and it is worthless. And can I be so bold as to say, even God does not care. If your Studying does not prompt you to confess and repent of your sin. It is worthless and it is dead. Because you are nothing more, and I may be nothing more 
been someone who studies the ins and the outs of professional basketball but can't make a basket to save your life. That's why I don't play with Daryl DeVore anymore. Because you have all the knowledge of the game but no application on your daily life. And that is why God would look at that and say, it's worthless to me. I want your heart first, then your mind, but I need your heart. And I believe, friends, this is the scary part, with a shadow of a doubt that these same Pharisees that we read about faced the gates of heaven at the end of their walk. And when asked, why should I let you in? They responded with puffed out chests, dead hearts, and said, because nobody knows more about righteousness than I do. I followed the law accordingly to the letter. And the response, depart from me, I never knew you. Why? Because the hearts were dead, but the minds were awakened, but the hearts were dead. I think the Apostle Paul said it best in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. We know that all of us possess knowledge, and this knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know all that he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. Please do not hear me again and say, well, then I just shouldn't study. No, studying God's word, learning and growing is beautiful. I encourage you to do it. But we have to be careful because your knowledge does not make you better than anyone else in the kingdom of God. I can remember a friend of mine uh, recently walking through a Christian bookstore uh, and he overheard two young men. They were seminary students. They were talking to one another. And they were talking about an idea in Christianity that is, I would say, painfully a secondary issue. So you have the primary issues, which we have to agree on, or you're not saved. Then you got your secondary issues, which are great to talk about. But of the secondary issues, it's like way down here on the secondary issues. And they're, and they're talking about this in the bookstore. And my friend says, I can remember them saying this. I can't imagine someone saying that they're a Christian and not believing in blank. I remember getting so frustrated at hearing that story. You recall that I've been uh, working out in the gym, and so I was like, where are they at? I'm ready to talk. No, that's not what I did. But I remember getting so frustrated at that story. I wanted to find these arrogant boys and tell them, I want you to go tell that to my grandfather, Arthur Stevens who walked with the Lord faithfully for over 40 years. He gave up drinking and smoking for Jesus and for his wife. He attended church every single Sunday until the day that he died. He loved his God, his Bible, and his wife. And you have the audacity to throw his faith into question because he doesn't believe on a secondary issue that you might hold. How sad is that? And before we look outwardly, I wonder how often I have been that person. How often has I looked across the denominational lines and the theological lines and said, I'm better and smarter than them. Woe is us if we have that attitude. Now, what I'm saying is this. It's okay to have opinions. Have your opinions. Study God's word. Have an opinion on your secondary and tertiary issues in the church. Yes, absolutely. We need to study those, but we cannot say, you believe differently, I'm better than you, and you're worse than me. 
And you may say, Nate, man, you're really going in on these type of people here. And I'd say you are absolutely right because I see too many people having way too many opinions about way too many things and shunning away way too many people because they disagree. And here's the thing, church, I've been that person before. And maybe, maybe we have all been that person before. And so we are left to look at ourselves. Okay, so what do, what, what do we do? So how do we marry heart and mind together? Where is the balance? We need both. We need a heart that's on fire for Jesus, a heart that is awakened, and then we need to move and to grow and awaken our minds. We need both to come together. We have to study. So what do we do? We should not be, a fear, be afraid. Like, well, I don't want to study them because I'm afraid I'm going to become like these very same Pharisees and these very same people. Well, that's not going to happen if you have a heart that's awakened to the Lord. And if you have godly and loving friends nearby you who can correct you and correct uh, wrong belief along, along the way or wrong attitudes along the way. So we need to study. So what are we supposed to do? Where's the balance here? And this is where we're going to uh, close up shop. We need to have a proper understanding. Now, your bulletin says a different proper understanding, and that is because I changed it last minute. This is the result of four cups of coffee on a Saturday, and you're all amped up on caffeine that's like Pentecost in the living room because you're just like shaking and you're screaming. You're talking so fast that the the dog was like, oh my gosh, he's speaking in tongues. Like, no, I'm just going a mile a minute. Uh, I'm dog sitting and I was just staring at this dog. I was spitting some massive, amazing theology at this dog. That dog came to know the Lord. I'm telling you right now. Okay. But I was just going and I said, I'm going to get rid of that proper understanding that I put in the bulletin. This is what we need to have. Okay. (laughs) So we must possess proper understanding. We must possess a genuine heart that loves God and a hungry mind that studies God. We need, to ha- we need to balance these two together. The understanding we have to have, it's not one or the other. We must possess a genuine heart and a hungry mind that want to love and to study God. Hear the words of Jesus from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 22. He said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul, and with all of your mind. You catch that. It is not or, it is and. You don't get to cherry pick which one you want. You have to honor and love the Lord with your heart and soul and your mind. So if you have heart and soul, but no mind, well then friends, you will be tossed to and fro when anyone teaches you anything. You won't be able to stand on your own. You won't be able to discern on your own because you you haven't studied God's word yet. So when someone comes along and starts teaching you something, you're going to quickly go into that. And then someone's going to say something different. You're going to go into that instead because you have a love of God, but you haven't studied the Bible. You haven't read the Bible yet. So you don't know what is true and what is not true yet. And so the fear is if you have heart and soul, but not mind, you will inevitably be led astray. So we have to study. We have to know what our religion, we have to know what our Bibles say so that when someone says, hey, did you know there's actually another way to Jesus? We can say, absolutely not. We have to have the mind. On the flip side, if you have the mind, but if you don't have the heart and soul, well, then you have cold, dead intellect, and we are just like the Pharisees. 
We need to come together and to possess both. And if I can get a little biasy here, I am so glad here at our church, we try our best, try our best to provide both for our people. We offer Sunday school classes and evening discipleship classes with the intent of growing your mind. We teach. We get a little bit more uh, deeper than what we would on a Sunday sometimes. We offer different classes on different topics. And then to grow your heart and soul, we offer Sunday morning worship. We offer community groups and many other avenues to help grow your heart and awaken your heart and soul to the Lord. And many churches around the world do this. We're no, we're no different. Friends, we need to both wholly love God with our hearts and our minds to live a more fulfilled and honorable life to him. Here's the thing. What does it say of the spouse who married a person and then desires not to learn anything about them? You've spent 13 years or so, however long, married, and yet you can't tell me a single thing about your spouse. I would argue that you do not love your spouse. You love the idea of your spouse because you don't know anything about them. I used to, uh, when I was in a relationship uh, previous, uh, the person I was with uh, hated Mexican food. And I I wept bitterly in the streets. (laughs) Never mind. (laughs) I was going to make a joke. The spirit of self-control came upon me. (laughs) So... Uh, the, first, the early parts of our relationship, we would go out to eat and I would take her to Mexican food because my favorite, one of my favorite Mexican places is a place called Guacamole downtown. Love that place. You should go. Um, but when I found out, she's like, actually, I don't really like Mexican food. It doesn't sit well with my stomach. I was like, okay. We, so we never went. So we, I, I never took her to Mexican food. Why? Because I learned something about her and I loved her. So what would it say of me if I knew she didn't like this type of food and I willingly made us go to that restaurant all the time? Not looking good for me. So what does it say of the person who's married or dating and you can't tell me a single thing about your spouse or significant other because you might very well be doing the things that they despise the most. We have to be informed and study to learn about the Lord, what he likes, what he doesn't like. Consider further an infant child. It's beautiful. The mind is not developed yet at all because it's a baby. It's in its infancy, and that's okay. I don't look at a baby and say, quote Shakespeare. I do, and no one ever does it, but we don't do that. The mind has not developed yet in the infant child, and and we think that is beautiful, because it's an infant baby. It's a beautiful thing. Infancy in its time is beautiful, but let's say that I come back 10 years later, And that baby is still a baby. Undeveloped mind, can't do anything on its own. Would I not conclude that that baby is sick or perhaps dying? If I came back 10 years later, no change in that infant child. Do you see the correlation there? Brothers and sisters, we have to grow our minds. The time of infancy, of spiritual infancy is done. Friends, I love you. And I want to say this, it was beautiful and now it's time to grow up, okay? Infancy was beautiful. When we first accepted Christ, it was beautiful, and now it's time to start growing our minds and to learn more 
and more. And on the other side of things, what does it say of the person on this side who knows everything about everything there is to know about the military? They've seen every war movie. They've seen every documentary. Some of their closest friends are even soldiers. They know way more than you and I could ever know about the military. They are obsessed. We all knew that kid that was obsessed with World War II in history class, okay? Maybe you are like that person or know someone like that person, yet this very same person has never once enlisted or even held a weapon. And then this person gets up and says, I am a proud member of the United States military. Would we not laugh at this person? Would we not see that even though they have all that knowledge, it's useless because they've never served. They've never enlisted. They've never held a gun. All their knowledge does not make them a soldier by itself. All that knowledge is worthless until it's put into action by a heart decision. Friends, we must have a heart that spurs us on into action and into love, and we must have a mind that accompanies that heart. It is of the utmost importance to possess a genuine heart for God and a hungry mind that studies him. You cannot, you must not miss one or the other. I beg of you, marry the two together. Walk in the fullness and the newness of life with these two things accompanying together. Study God like you would study your spouse or your friend. Learn everything there is to know about God. Have a heart that bursts forth with such overwhelming love and devotion for God that all you can do is utter the words of our brother Isaiah, here I am, Lord, send me. Have a heart for God that spurs you into action. Don't sit in the chairs. Get up and move. Preach, teach the gospel. I spur you on in all of this, friends. Because I want you, myself included, to have a richer, more fulfilled, increased, storehouses overflowing, joyous, onerous, life-giving relationship with Jesus Christ. That is my plea to each and every one of you, that we would not miss one or miss the other. But when we bring them together, friends, you will experience life as the way God intended for you to do it. Have a mind that thirsts for God that thirsts for his word and have a heart that weeps for Jesus, that loves and rejoices for Jesus. Bring the two together. I'm gonna invite our band uh, to come forward now as we have a time of responding. Friends, again, I don't want you to miss the importance of this. We need both. It's a matter, accepting Jesus is a matter of the heart. It's not of the mind, your intellect your knowledge, your obedience will not save you unless you have a heart gripped by Jesus, opening up to the gospel of him.